What happens if somebody breaks a date with you? If you're resilient, you line up a new one with somebody else. But what happens if that first person decides, no, they want to keep the date after all. And when you tell them, sorry, you already have another date, they invite themselves along. Well, in the case of this month's guest, it results in a huge hit song. I'm Tom Maley, and this is Write You a Song. If the name Johnny Bulford sounds vaguely familiar, then maybe you used to watch the Colgate Country Showdown, a country music talent show sponsored by the Toothpaste Company. In 2008, Johnny won it and was given a sizable check by that evening's host, Leanne Rimes. The show was a singing competition, but as much as Johnny loves to sing and is very good at it, his real passion is songwriting, a passion he got from listening to the songs of his country music idol, Garth Brooks. And his songs do have a certain Garthiness that he'll explain. It's one of the many interesting insights into his creative approach, which has given country radio hit staples like A Woman Like You and Lonely Eyes. Johnny Bulford now on Write You a Song. Uh, so three, two, one. Is your last name Bulford or Bullford? How do you- Bullford is, yeah, the lazy way of saying, you know, just Bullford is, is the way. That's great, though. Usually I get, is it Buford or Billfold? Or <laughs> I've gotten introduced many different ways on stage. <laughs> Johnny Billfold, that, that could yep. have been like a 70s star. It happened once. And I, and I, and I, uh, it's funny because the video of it, <laughs> my reaction is like, I couldn't hide my, Really? That's not even close. And you asked me before we came out of here. It's <laughs> not even in the same. You know, I always tell people it's bull and a Ford. My grandpa has a, uh, on his mantle, has a, a bull facing a Ford truck about to tear the front end out of it. That's kind of the... That's good. A little visual assistance. Yeah, we took an old British name and rednecked it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Well, it's great to have you on uh, Write You a Song and... Um, I just want let's let's start with um, you know it sounds you come from a musical family. I, a lot of the songwriters I talk to, it's really varied. Some have you know real musical backgrounds, and some none at all. But you actually are, are pretty steeped with a musical background, right? Well, I mean, no, no one that ever did anything uh, super. I mean, I guess my my grandfather back in the day toured Paris in the '30s as a in a jazz band, which was in the thirties, that was like making it, you know, that was absolutely. Um, what, what did he mom, play? What was his instrument? Oh, he played all kind of stuff. He, uh, but later in the, he had a, he had a stroke when I was younger and, uh, it's funny how it works out. You know, even, even when he might not have remembered who I was, he could still play all the old songs and, and wow. he would just pick up an instrument. I feel like sometimes we'd even go, we didn't even know he played that one, you know, but, um, he played, uh, I do know he was a, an amazing uh, rhythm banjo player. That was the jazz instrument he played, uh, as well as piano. Uh, he was a great piano player. He, he also loved to play the old ragtime feel. Like, that's what I grew up was, I grew up listening to was him playing that, like the entertainer, that kind of stuff. And uh, he was amazing on the harmonica. Those are Those are probably the three I remember him playing the most. But he also played guitar and, and uh, but, you know, I, it, it, when I would witness him, it would just it would be him kind of wandering around the house, and he'd just stumble across an instrument and pick it up and start playing, and it was always awesome. And then my mom, my mom was in a band um, until I came along and messed that up. Uh, <laughs> you have to talk to her about the full story, but no, uh, she was in a band when she was younger. Uh, my cousins were in bands. My everyone in the family on my mom's side pretty much sings. Uh, and then my dad's side was super athletic, so I kind of got kind of got a mixture of the two. That's a pretty good combination to have, actually. It, you know, I've been busy because of it. I, I've been I've been uh, able to do a lot of super cool stuff. Uh, early in life was in the sports world, and then later in life, or, or after that, after all the injuries, <laughs> thank goodness, music was there. <laughs> I mean, I was doing music the whole time anyway, but. I want to go back to your grandfather for just a second. How did he earn his way across back to America on a ship? So, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty nuts. Like, people lived some crazy lives back in the day. Did all kind of stuff before we had Netflix to binge watch, right? <laughs> so, he, he, um, he, to get to Paris to, to 
tour in that band, he whistled his way across the Atlantic on a cruise ship. Whistled. So he was one of those, like, you ever heard, well, think of, like, the old Disney whistlers, mm-hmm. like, how beautiful, like, they would play it like an instrument. Yeah. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's still tons of people who do it, but um, people used to whis- whistle like an instrument back in the day, like a lot of people would. And my grandpa was one of those when he would... He could sound like a bird and like a bird was singing and in, in, but in tune and, and <laughs> my cousin Scott can do it and I can't and I'm so jealous. I have like a normal whistle, but Grandpa had that like that Tweety singing bird whistle. Wow! So mm-hmm. you had music in your life. It was it sounds like it was always in your home. Uh, you you probably also had some competitiveness because of you know, the the sports side of things. Did did the competitive part help you later on as you? kind of grew into your career and figured out what you wanted to do? I don't, I don't think so. And not that it wouldn't have, I just never brought that into the music side, you know, not like, you know, others might have. I, I always loved music for me was like a family. Like if I met somebody I connected with musically, I, I would never have wanted to, beat them or anything you know or compete against them especially in the co-writing world in a collaboration it it, it would feel silly to compete against people i'm working with you know it's but, an, uh, it's antithetical it is it, it is and it can and i know there are people who who approach it that way but um just i chose music because music was uh it's fun i i you know at a young age realized we only have so much time you know, in our lives. And I didn't want to spend a whole lot of it doing something I don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, so music is always the, the goal ever since sports, you know, stopped being a thing um, ever since, you know, whatever injuries I got and kind of got me out of that. Uh, this was the next best thing. Not that I was never willing to go back to construction or something like that. But uh, I just, you know, I watched my dad work construction. I saw what it did to his his body and, you know, hurt him pretty good. And, and every time I'd go work with him, he'd be like, you know, he'd always say stuff like, you know, are you, you going to college? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to college <laughs> you know, at the end of the work day. And uh, then when it became music, it was, the goal was figure out a way to be able to do this for the rest of your life and, uh, and be happy. And that, that's kind of what I've been trying to do. Yeah. And I guess the the reason I asked that question about the competitive side wasn't so much uh, do you compete against, you know, your peers. It was more about music is such a tough business. It is you've got to grind and you've got to you've got to learn to deal with failure and and rise above it. Did it help in that regard? For sure. Yeah. I mean, that was it it was it was uh, that resilience. uh that you that you need when when you get you know knocked down or whatever was definitely there um and it definitely did help i i just i just approached the two like in in sports it was i got to beat everybody i got to you mm-hmm. know nobody's going to be better than me that kind of thing what i do what was a relief about music for me was was uh you work with each other and and uh that collaboration part but i mean yeah when the disappointments and all that kind of actually, you know what? This is going to sound terrible, but I was, I was always a really big guy, and and uh, I never competed uh, at the collegiate level, so I never really got to. Uh, I feel like I uh, uh, sports was always really fun for me too. I wasn't uh, having to. I don't know. I wasn't. I wasn't up against a lot of people my size you know in high school i was a lot bigger than mm-hmm. than a lot of the kids i'm saying i'm trying not to say that it wasn't as difficult as as nashville was so i would say my my sports stuff was was uh was it a came more compared. naturally it came more naturally to you yeah it was a breeze compared to what you're talking about the the business side of of songwriting the the letdowns and the negotiations and the you know the here and there finding out somebody maybe wrote one of your song titles and you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) (laughs) stuff that happens. Those kind of disappointments are really hard to prepare for because, um, because, well, because of the whole thing about being a creative, like a a creative type, a songwriter, um, 
you know, and going into Nashville and be, you have to be vulnerable to be a songwriter. So you kind of open yourself up. So it's kind of hard to prepare yourself for a situation where you have to open yourself up and become super vulnerable. Um, and you know, you still get, get the, uh, the aggression, the, uh, the cutthroatness of the music industry. <laughs> yeah, it it's an interesting contrast, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's tough to navigate, and I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's any it, that, that um like just my high school sports would have even gotten gotten even close to that uh, that level of competition. Really, it would have been just growing up in in Orlando in in the you know, around the kids and stuff I grew up around. It was kind of a, wasn't the wealthiest area, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So we had some rough kids that probably prepared me for Nashville more than anything, sure. just being exposed to uh, just how, not that, I mean, I grew up with a lot of wonderful people, but I got to see how awful humans can be too at a, at a young age. Um, talk about the initial spark for you. We've talked about music always being in your life, but you got your first, first Garth Brooks album when you were 11 and that, that kind of put you on the runway and then seeing him when you were 12, you took flight. Yeah, that was a, that was a big deal. Like grandma, I was only allowed to listen to gospel music to a certain age and, um, and uh, grandma snuck a Garth cassette in the, in the car one day and I was like, what is this? <laughs> Do and you remember which cassette? It was whatever had friends in low places on it. Okay. I, I, I believe actually, it, which could have been a greatest hits or whatever. I don't even know that I ever looked at it. I just asked who it was. And grandma knew I was so excited about it. I don't know if she shared it with my uncle, but he had these extra tickets to this Garth concert. And, and that was, uh, that was it. I went in and saw Garth play and, and, um, you know, I didn't realize at the time, uh, but it was it was his songs that I was so that I liked so much. You know, I I, I liked a lot of people when we're when we're younger and we think we're going to become entertain or we want to be singers. We think, oh, I need to be Garth Brooks. I need to be Elvis. I need to be as big as possible. I need to be super famous. But I don't know. I I, I looking back on it, it wasn't him being in front of 80,000 people that looked so uh, appealing. It was, he was singing these magic spells, these, these perfectly put together music and words and melody. And it was affecting all these people in such a crazy way. Um, I was really je- jealous of the songs. You know, I, I liked uh, that he, that he had those, those songs. So I, you know, not long after that concert, I wanted to start playing those songs. And mm-hmm. then as soon as I, so I asked my granny for a guitar, I think, I think within a year of that concert. And then I started playing so I could learn how to play these songs. I love so much. And then some guy just out of nowhere, my granny wanted me to sing. Um, when you say nothing at all, uh, wanted a recording of me doing that. Cause she loved that song. So she hired an engineer to record me. And after we were done with the recording, he goes, "Have you ever tried writing music?" And I was, and I just looked at him like, "No, that's silly," and that couldn't get out of my head for for the rest of the day. I think that night I wrote my first song, pulled me right out of my bed at three in the morning or something. I had to go all the way to the corner of the house because we had a, you know, you could hear hear each other pretty much anywhere in the house in the house I grew up in. So all the way on the back porch in the corner of the house. And I wrote my first song and then it was like, I couldn't stop for months and months. <laughs> like it was unhealthy how much I wrote initially. Um, and yeah, just couldn't, couldn't stop. And I, I probably attribute it to, I could attribute it to a lot of things, but the silliest thing I could attribute it to is, is um, in my, in my school growing up, we had this, I, I went to a really difficult School. If anybody's ever heard of the Abeka school curriculum, it's a really difficult private school. I even did a couple years homeschooled growing up, and it, it's really, really challenging. It's so challenging that, like, when I graduated high school, like, I, I kind of breezed through a couple years of college just because it had me so far ahead. Um, 
not not because I was a great student. It just made you had to 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 pass this this curriculum. You had to you had to know a lot of stuff. So uh, one of the exercises they did was uh, when they gave us our vocabulary words. When when I was younger, I was about six or seven years old. We'd get like fifteen vocabulary words, and then you had to put them into a story and make each word fit into the story. <laughs> and I loved that challenge for some reason. And writing a song feels like a similar challenge. It's a puzzle you're trying to figure out where you know you need this and this and this has to be in it and you need them in the right order for it to unlock the perfect song or whatever it is. And uh, I've always enjoyed trying to find that, I guess. So it became something that you didn't know you were going to enjoy it as much as you did, but as soon as you started, it was awesome. Oh, it was. And I I fought against it. I, I, I know this is probably a weird story for for how people get into it but i tried i was like college i'm gonna get a degree i'm gonna get a safe careful job i'm not gonna chase a music career you know like i'm i'm uh uh music was obviously it's not the most secure profession to to take on so but it it wouldn't let me go it had a hold of me pretty good and um yeah i mean even at the time that my writing career started, I was still fighting against it in a lot of ways. And you're not only a terrific songwriter, you have a great voice too. And you actually uh, won the Colgate country showdown in what, 2008, you had two other runs at it. And in 2008, you won the whole thing. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I did it a couple times and, and more from a, just to, just to see, I didn't even know, how, that's why I feel bad when people ask me how you get a publishing deal. How do you get into music industry? I'm like, well, everyone I know has a different story. Mine was a toothpaste competition. So, <laughs> give it up for Johnny Bulford. Let me tell you about a place I know. If you want to know the meaning of too much fun. Well, it was blessed by the good Lord up above. The best came secret under the Florida sun. We pulled up, me and a friend of mine. She'd been there before, but it was my first time. I asked her if she thought we'd have fun, and she said all kinds. But there's something you need to understand And before I even had a drink in my hand She said, what happens is stays here You'll see that it's true Don't worry about asking Cause there aren't any rules And if you find yourself alone Just ask the man with no shoes Now grab a beer and let go of your Cause what happens here stays here Well, I have to say your teeth are remarkably white. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's funny. The day, of the, comp- the day of the finals, I woke up and realized I had my travel uh, pack that, that, uh, that I had with me had like a little thing of Crest toothpaste. <laughs> and I said, I can't brush my teeth with Crest today. I walked down to the gas station and got some Colgate. I'm like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not super superstitious by any means, but uh, yeah, I wasn't going to risk it. That's <laughs> hilarious. Toothpaste, but no, it, that was, uh, that was one of those instances where in my mind, I was, I was almost done with school. I was going to UCF at the time and uh, I had a, you know, I had a great little band situation in central Florida and we played a lot of cool gigs and, and music was something I was still very passionate about. Still, it was mainly songwriting, though. I loved song. I knew I was always going to write songs. There was no way around that. And uh, but I was going to at least get my degree, have a career, and then maybe one day enter Nashville's writing world, but with with some money in the bank, you know, mm-hmm. to where I I wasn't risking it all. Right? I I I would have saved a little piece of money to go chase the Nashville thing but didn't work out that way my mom uh my mom knew what I wanted to do so she she actually made me go do the 
Colgate the third time. So, oh wow, <laughs> brought me up there, made me do it, and uh, th- that was the year I won uh, locals, and then states, and then regionals, and and then I got to do the the Opry. Well, sorry, not the Opry. The Ryman mm-hmm. is where the show was. I got to perform there, and Leanne Rhymes hosted it, and she handed me a hundred thousand dollar check at the end. Pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, did that give you? Uh, confidence, or did it just give you the key to open the door that might otherwise have been a little harder to get through to enter the Nashville writing community? Well, uh, confidence has always been a tough thing for me to come by. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know that I ever had, I think one of the things that makes me still write the way I write is is that insecurity. I think that unfortunately is part of it for me, Mm. but uh, confidence wise, I don't know that I had it until after the first number, after my first hit. So getting the deal, because I kept hearing from everyone in Nashville too. I I got a lot of really good advice. And what a lot of people don't realize is getting the publishing deal is, is barely even step one, you know, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, just like getting the record deal is barely even step one. There's a lot of people who've had record deals and there's a lot of people who've had a lot of record deals and we, we, we still don't know them. Um, just because of the way things tend to, you know, work out. But, um, but yeah, getting the, the, uh, publishing deal was probably more of a, instead of, you know, giving me confidence, like you would think. Uh, it was more of a all right now I now I really have to work really really hard uh-huh. now I didn't I I didn't it wasn't like I got comfortable at all it was it made me more nervous and more anxious and more uh, some people work better that way I do I realize that I I do work better that way it's just hard I I, I hate that that's one of my fuels the the anxious uh-huh. stuff uh, I hate that that's where the songs come from for me because. I'm typically not that kind of person. I'm a very calm, laid back kind of person. And uh, if I would have done something else <laughs> for my career, I would have probably just been a, a beach bum kind of guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, you know, the music thing, it'll teach you to, it'll make you hustle. Like it does feel I, I like, I guess, yeah, your, your sports thing, that would be the thing I brought from that uh from the sports stuff is is i guess just getting knocked down and getting back up like Mm -hmm. you were saying when you won the the colgate challenge it sounds to me like you have always had songwriting first and foremost in your mind and your heart but like i said you're a really good singer was performing ever really on your radar like being a a garth like performer or or just a you know just a performer Or, or, or do you prefer being a songwriter first. I, well, so the performing thing is, it goes hand in hand with the songwriting. So I like, like back to the Garth thing, I thought his spells were awesome. The songs he was singing, these things that were affecting all these people so, so much. I thought they were great, but they were his. So I needed mine and I didn't want them so that I, you know, I wanted them so I could perform them for people. You know, I wanted to have those songs mm-hmm. that, uh, I love having a situation where someone's next to me and they go, oh, this, this, and this happened in my life. I go, well, almost like a musical pharmacist. I'm like, well, let me let me play you this song and this one and that one and see how it does for you. Now listen to this on repeat for a few days and see how you feel afterwards. <laughs> you know, I, I liked that part of it. So performing is is definitely part of it. Well, I guess what I mean is I'm not a, I, I'm not a fly in from the rafters mm-hmm. on a, on a high, as much as I love that, and I wish I was that person, uh, I'm more of a as a performer. I'm for some reason I'm like I'm like yes, everybody have fun, cheer, you know, you know, have your drinks in the air and all that stuff. But also pay attention, you know, make sure you're listening to the lyrics. <laughs> 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 that is an honest, honest answer. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Chris Young was really instrumental in in helping you kind of get off the ground. Yeah. He, uh, so there, that's where mom comes in again, actually both of our moms, uh, after the Colgate thing, 
after I won that, I was invited to perform downtown in Nashville at the, I think it was at the Wild Horse. It was actually performing with Love and Theft back when there was three of them. They, we did this show together and I came out to the front and my mom was talking to this woman. And I'm like, I'm like, oh boy, mom's over there telling someone, some poor soul, my whole life story again. And because uh, that's what she liked to do. And, uh, and, and that's not me complaining because that opened a lot of doors for me. Her, uh, her need to, or her, how proud she was of me is really <laughs> what it was. But uh, she's talking to this lady and, and uh, they, I walk up and they were both talking about their sons, one of them being me. And then the other one, I didn't know who it was. But at the end of it, or when I walked up, the, the lady goes, oh, you're Johnny Bulford. You just won the Colgate Country Showdown. And I go, I did. And she goes, well, you should come play at my son's fan club party. Uh, it was CMA week or fanfare week or whatever they called it back then. And I was like, okay. So we went up to the convention center. And that night I sang for Chris Young's fan. It was Chris Young's mom. Uh-huh. My mom was talking to Chris Young's mom. So I uh, I did a little set while Chris was signing autographs. And about halfway through, Chris quit signing autographs. And he came and listened to the rest of my set. And I'm going, well, I don't know what this means in the music industry, but it can't be a bad thing. <laughs> and then uh, and then Chris invited me to hang out with him afterwards, him and some friends. And, and we kind of hit it off as buddies. And he helped me get my – he helped turn all those – all 13 of those publishing deal interests into offers by hooking me up with the right lawyer and and uh, really keeping the buzz in Nashville uh, that I had. He helped keep that buzz going when I was out of town, uh, when I went, you know, when I was back home in Florida. And then Warner signed me and I moved up uh, with a pub deal already. So. Did he see in you... Your value as a songwriter, your value as a singer, your both combined. What was it that you're just a good dude and he wanted to help you out? What was it? Well, we've been. He was like best man at my wedding. I I think I I think it's a combination of all three. Uh, uh, but I I have heard him. He does introduce me a lot as one of his favorite songwriters. Uh, so. So I know he loves my writing skill and he's cut a lot of songs that I've been a part of. Um, I know he likes, I know he likes the songwriting. I know he likes my voice as well, um, which is flattering because he's, you know, quite the vocalist. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's always nice when somebody who's incredible at a craft appreciates, you know, your abilities in the same one. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I think he also probably could tell how much I loved the songwriting part of it. So he knew when he would introduce me to somebody, he wouldn't necessarily always say this guy sings his butt off or anything like that. He would say, this is one of my favorite songwriters, probably because he knows that would be the thing that flattered me the most. You know what I mean? Absolutely. All right, well, let's talk about some of the songs that you've written specifically, starting with, I think it was the the first major label cut you ever got, and it was uh, for Chris Young, uh, Chris Young's album, uh, Neon, and the song is called Flashlight. So I, I wrote, um, my very first major label cut was with Chris, and it was a song that he and I wrote with Robert Arthur, who is the guy who taught me how to co-write, um, an unbelievable Nashville songwriter. So I love that my very first major label cut. Um, actually, there's three awesome things about it. It's about my dad, uh, who you know worked his butt off to make sure I could pursue music as a career, and and you know in a situation that where it wasn't easy. Um, but it's basically Robert Arthur brought in this idea about working on the car with your dad, right? Working on the truck, and he he says, you know, it's flashlight holding the flashlight, and um, Robert, you know, we, we had this instant idea of where to go with it. Like me and Chris were growing up, we, we helped our dads work on the car, mm-hmm. but we didn't really pay as much attention to what we were doing as we should have. Like I was always, I was always, uh, you know, I, I mean, I know, I know I, I shouldn't sell myself short as a mechanic cause you can't be my dad's son or my grandfather's grandson and not know something. Cause it, you know, we were always working on stuff, but, but yeah, for the most part, I was preoccupied by whatever, you know, I was also a, 
a secret gamer nerd too. So I was like all <laughs> encompassed by whatever Legend of Zelda game I was trying to beat at the time while I was holding the flashlight and and wasn't really paying attention to what dad was doing. Uh, but I did hear a lot of the stuff of what he was saying. And my dad was always really good at at just giving me everything straight. Never tried to like manipulate or 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 uh, use any other kind of tricks to teach me things. He was just straight with me. He's like, this is how it is. And, and yeah, this, you know, this, whatever fill in the blank, bad thing, it's a lot of fun and you'll enjoy it. But if you can hold off a little bit longer until you're more formed as a person and more mature, he goes, the more he goes, if you think you're mature, if you think you've got it together, if you think, you know, you're, you're smart, then you're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> until you realize until you realize you don't know anything you know it was kind of the he was just super straight with me about everything so uh what i realized is i learned uh he I, I might not have walked away from those nights working on the truck uh with the ability to work on a truck but i did walk away with uh some pearls of wisdom for for life that i still use today so that song is about holding the flashlight and not learning how to work in the car, but learning how to how to how to navigate this life a little. You'd say, son, hold it still, keep that beam shining straight. You'd have a nine sixteen in one hand, working on that Chevrolet. It seemed like every Saturday, soon as the sun went down, we'd be huddled underneath that hood. Tinkering around And of all the great memories I have The best ones are those nights Just me and my dad He'll never know how much he taught me Out in that garage And I guess the stuff that stuck Was more about life than fixing cars to this day I still can't make them run right But I sure did learn a lot Just holding the flashlight He told me a lot of stories about Was there any sort of a letdown when you saw that that song wasn't going to be released as a, a single? Well, um, no, I think I was still too excited about a major label cut. That 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 means I was an, I was now a songwriter who could get cuts, you know, and uh, it was validation. And I did get it on my own too, so that was that was another thing that was nice. All right, talk about Lonely Eyes. So, Lonely Eyes was that one. You know, I, I was friends. With, I don't even know if I would have played it for Chris, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, I, I was trying to figure out what Chris was wanting. Obviously, he was he was my closest friend and and um, and uh, just somebody that if I wasn't. At least every now and then trying to write a song I thought he would like, then I would have been I would have been a fool, you know, so. So I did occasionally, and plus a lot of the writers that I would be working with would come in knowing I was friends with Chris going, we should write something for Chris because that's kind of uh -huh. how it goes. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I was trying to write what I thought Chris would have liked, um, you know, on, on a few occasions, but Lonely Eyes was, was not one that I was, you know, exactly kind of going after him, but I didn't know he was kind of adjusting his style a little bit, uh. I didn't know that that was happening kind of behind the scenes. So I got very lucky. We wrote it on a Tuesday, I believe. And then I was writing with Chris the following day. And Chris was just a few minutes late for the write. So I was sitting in the room kind of chunking through the song I'd written the day before. And he sat outside the room and listened to me sing the first verse and chorus. And then he came in and he goes, oh, dude, please tell me that's what we're writing today. And I'm like... <laughs> I go, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I wrote this yesterday. He's like, let me hear the rest of it. So I finished it, and, and I was a little nervous because I'm like, I still don't really know how it goes. I, you know, I, I'm not super comfortable with it yet. He goes, demo it up. I want to hear the full demo. He goes, I'm pretty sold on it, but I need to get you know everybody else 
convinced. So we demoed it and he cut it and he told me it was going to be the third single and it, and it was. Tuesday night, crowded bar, some guy lights a cheap cigar. Bartender yells at him, so he walks out and you walk in. Right through that cloud of smoke, cat calls and dirty jokes. Scan the room a couple times, find a seat right next to mine. Lonely eyes, well it sure looks like you just might be looking for something, for something. I don't know, it's just really, really cool, first of all, to hear your buddy's voice on the song he wrote. Um, especially Chris, who's a great songwriter. Like he cut that outside. He wasn't he wasn't on that one. So I always have respect for for people who can write the song but also recognize one that they want, you know, and mm-hmm. and still go for that. And so so super grateful for him for for that, you know, and, and I'm so glad we got to have a a hit together. And and uh, but yeah, it was really cool to hear his his uh, voice on a on that song, and then to hear it on the radio was was super cool. And it, then at live at shows is always epic too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just played uh, uh, an event of ours called Country in the Park, and um, he did that way. And you mentioned earlier when you say nothing at all, he did an acoustic version of that. Uh, which was well, Keith Whitley's his he's a oh, big Keith Whitley fan yeah we were talking about it how cool it must be to be in front of we had 19,500 people and it's just Chris and his guitar and every single person was in the palm of his hand i mean <laughs> there there can't be a better feeling than that it was just so awesome it was mesmerizing That's just awesome. incredible i i believe it i've seen him do that a bunch of times cuz you know over the years i got to ride the bus a bunch of times and and uh and see the songs and even got to go up there and, and do them a couple times myself which was always a lot of fun you also wrote uh, a song that has, it's one of my favorite country songs especially when it came out because it was so different i actually talked to lee rice about the song and he said he loves to sing and and he really loves to belt out songs but when he heard that song, and, and I guess it was the demo, he realized he shouldn't touch it in any way. He just needed to just let that song be what it was. I think it's the same vocal he did the night we wrote it. Um, really? I'm pretty sure that that's the same vocal. Uh, and I have somewhere the original vocal take. Um, but b- basically, yeah, that song was... So well, he he got, he he co-wrote that with with you and with John Stone or no, was he, he just cut there? No, he that outside too. Another great songwriter, Lee Bryce, who I think the year before this won Song of the Year with Crazy Girl for Eli Young Band. He also wrote More Than a Memory for Garth. I'm mm-hmm. forever jealous that he has a Garth cut, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but no, Lee is is uh he is I feel like he and I are from the same school of song. He's kind of from the school of Garth a little bit. And I I feel like that influences the way he writes. I was just recently hanging and talking with Jared Neiman, who's another buddy of his. And we all, I always felt like we all like to sing, sing on like, that's why lonely eyes is the way it is. I like to sing, sing too, you know? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I'll find myself doing a show going, why do I write these rangy songs? All the time? It's so hard to sing them. <laughs> But I like the drama. I like all those big, big notes and the builds and all that. And the but woman the like you is not that in any way, shape, or form. No, not in, now. We snuck that bridge in there. The bridge gets up there for a just for a second. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of drama, but it it's just a it trucks through most of the time and or most of that song. And uh, yeah, that one I have to give Chris some credit there too. Uh, I the way that whole story shook out was. Uh, Phil Barton was, he had to cancel his right with me 
This is also written on a Tuesday. I'm pretty, I, I, I should only write on Tuesdays <laughs> is what I'm figuring out. But um, we were supposed to write and Bill had to call. He's Australian. So he was saying, oh, man, I got to go home and, and do some stuff for my visa. And I think it was up or whatever. And and uh, so he had to cancel the write. So I'm, I'm, I think I was sitting at the tin roof with Chris when this happened. And I was like, oh, my Tuesday canceled, something like that. And Chris was like, well, you need to meet John Stone. He's he's friends with Lee Bryce and, you know, they work and he produces, you know, one of those network connecting things. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, well, cool. And John's like, my, my Tuesday is open. John's always leaves a few days open for writing during the week for last minute stuff. He's just that kind of guy. And I'm glad he's that kind of guy. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had this right. But uh, so we we booked that Tuesday and uh, the morning of Phil Barton calls me and says, hey, man, are we good for are we good for 11? And I go, no, you canceled. You said, what are you? You're not supposed to. You're not even in the country right now. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm still here. Don't worry about it. And I go, <laughs> OK, uh, I go, well, actually, I booked a right with somebody else. I'm sorry. He And Phil, Phil, in his in his way, he's so funny. He goes. He goes, well, where where are you writing, Warner? You know, because he knew I wrote at Warner, and he's and I'm like, yeah. And he goes, like at eleven, like you normally do, and he, and I'm like, yeah. He goes, all right, cool, I'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, wait. And so I called John, and I'm and John was fine with it. Anyways, uh, I get to the right, and John was kind of playing that siglick, that 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 the one that starts the song, mm -hmm. and we just took off. And I mean, I think the first verse and chorus kind of just fell out uh almost like stream of conscious and and then that's when the work started because we had at, at, when we decided we wanted every chorus to be different that was when we basically made made our jobs a lot harder because <laughs> <laughs> you, when you change choruses not only do you have to do they have to change but they have to be better and increasingly better um the song the story has to either progress or the choruses have to get more interesting if you're going to replace one you know so um so we wrote probably six or seven or eight choruses to that song and i remember we had one that like where the guy like complained he's like i wouldn't have to watch desperate housewives or something like you know <laughs> something like that Okay. But we, we we also knew that we didn't want it to sound negative, you know, mm -hmm. which that sounded too whiny. Like it was like like he was complaining about her too much. Because if you really pay attention to the lyric, the choruses are just are are a guy. You know, the guy's being honest. He's like, you know, I'd probably get get to go see a football game if you. You know, I'd probably get to go golfing more. I'd probably get to go fishing more. Which he's kind of as sweetly as he can. Uh, bringing up the what might be considered as a negative to the relationship, but at the end of it, he goes. But let's be honest; I would just be trying to find you if if I didn't have you. And and that whole idea came from. I think the way I think the way it played out, and I'd have to ask the other guys to make sure, but I think John was saying his girlfriend at the time had asked him, "What would you do if I died?" <laughs> and, and he said i don't yeah exactly that's what we said we're like <laughs> oh my goodness uh and he and he's like i don't know and i think i said i've never been asked that before but i've been asked what would you do if we'd never met and then and then we talked about it a little bit and someone somewhere felt it fell out i'd be looking for you you know and that was where the where the idea kind of that was when we realized what we were chasing but once it was rolling, we had eight hours of work ahead of us. We wrote oh, for wow. eight hours. We didn't leave the room, which is, which is a long time for a, for one writing session. And uh, by the time we left, I think I met Chris at the bar or something. I went out. I was like, man, I had the longest write. I got to go blow off some steam. And by the time I got home from the bar, there was a version of Lee Bryce singing it in my inbox. And I think they used that vocal take. John Holy had played cow, it for him. Really? He had decided to cut it that day. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. So they, they went to the studi studio in the middle of the night and cut cut that vocal. Last night out of the blue 
drifting off to the evening news. She said, honey, what would you do if you'd have never met me? I just laughed, said, I don't know. I could take a couple guesses, though. And then tried to dig real deep. Said, darling, honestly, I do a lot more offshore fishing. I'd probably eat more drive-through chicken. Take a few strokes off my golf game If I'd have never known your name I'd still be driving that old green Nova I probably never would have heard of yoga I'd be a better football fan But if I was a single man Alone and out there on the loose Well I'd be looking for a woman like you My favorite part of the song, like you're talking about, it it changes every time with the the chorus, but it's, I had to look it up just to make sure I got it right. You know, he's kind of like coming to his conclusion. You know, I get sick deep sea fishing. You make the best fried chicken. I got a hopeless golf game. And then it's just like, you know, he, he just is, he's like, uh, he's out of things to, and he's just, I love the sound of your, I love the sound of your name. And I, I love the way he sings it. And I just love the way that is unlike anything else in the rest of the song. It's just like, I love the sound of your name. I just, I love that. I'm getting chill bumps right now. I just think it's such a brilliant little twist in a, in a brilliant little song. I whispered in hurry, you know, I get sick, deep sea fish. You make the best fried chicken. I got a hopeless golf game. I love the sound of your name. I might miss that old green Nova, but I love watching you do yoga. I take a gold band on my hand over being a single man. Cause honestly, I don't know what I Well, you know that that turn at the end. I love, I love the way country music does that. I I've even written a silly song called "See What I Did There," making fun of when we do, <laughs> making fun of when we try to do it and we fall short and it's just cheesy as heck. Like when we miss the mark by a lot. Like there's lines in it like, um, uh, "I've been dying since you left me in my living room." Right, which is and then the hook. See what I did there, and it's uh, uh, we got if if it felt so right, then why did you left? Right, like those kind of stupid lines. So I love those turns of phrase, and I I do remember. I don't have to listen to the transcripts to know, I I'm pretty sure I fought for that twist at the end oh. to do the chorus. I uh, I think I, I, I and I. I did it. I think I, the only reason I had to fight it for it a little bit is because radio, country radio was getting away from that, that all shucks, like clever turn mm-hmm. of phrase at the end thing. It, you know, it was more poppy and yeah, less heady, I guess, less, less, less of that. And there was an argument against doing that uh, in the room, but it didn't last very long because once we started chasing it down and, you know, I was saying like, no, it's the we we can throw old stuff back in and say that doesn't matter, you know. And uh, I don't think it took very long for me to convince them. And then we were we were writing that last chorus that way. But I'm glad you noticed that. But that's that's that school of Garth twist, turny phrase kind of magic that I I like to chase when I can. Not all songs have that stuff in it. Man, I I can't believe we talked for 55 minutes already. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're you're fascinating to listen to, and uh, for for I ramble too, so it's probably my fault. <laughs> you know what? You're you're a musical pharmacist. That, by the way, is going to be the name of the uh, the podcast. Um, hey, man, thank you so much, Johnny Bullford, uh, uh, Johnny Billfold. Thank you so much for. <laughs> thank you for having me, man. 
And that will almost do it for this month's edition of Write You a Song. But I do want to tack on one more little part of our chat. And it's something that Johnny does with his wife and songwriting partner, Heidi. If you've ever wanted professional songwriters to help craft a song personally for you or maybe for somebody in your life, um, check this out. Johnny was talking about it after the bulk of our interview had finished up, but I wanted to share it. Uh, in fact, one of our favorite things we do now is we have this like your right program where her and I help we custom write songs with people. And it's, it's such a cool thing. Cause I mean, as I just explained it to you, that's all I was really going after was, was trying to write someone a song that, that really hits them hard and, and affects them. And it's, it turns out it's easier to do that if you write it with them too. So, so How do you mean a, a custom song writing? What do you mean by that? So, so we do like, um we have our Heidi and I this is our studio for our our stream we do an internet stream here on on Twitch at Johnny and Heidi or it's it's twitch.com or twitch.tv slash Johnny and Heidi is our where people can watch us Mondays and Wednesdays we do a, a live stream here where we do covers and talk about Nashville and, and do our originals and all that stuff but um from that community and that and now from other places we're getting a lot of work doing custom uh, co-writes where either the person writes, they either give us, a, we interview them and take a bunch of notes, or we actually sit down with them and write their song, whether it's, uh, we've written songs for, for like their uh, mom wanted to write a song for their daughter. Uh, we've written first dance songs for weddings. We've written songs for grandparents. We've written, I mean, what we, what we learned from Nashville is, uh, you know, me and her in a room together, and then some input from a subject and we can make some pretty cool stuff. Uh, and, and uh, it's been pretty incredible getting to work with people and then write the song. And then we record it here in the studio and, and give it to them. Isn't that a cool idea? Again, it's Twitch TV and it's just Johnny and Heidi. You can do a Google search and pull it right up. And that is almost the end of this episode of Write Your Song. One other thing I do want to mention about Johnny and Heidi is they are going to be performing in the Sacramento area. Now, time is of the essence. We're dropping this podcast on Friday, June 23rd. On Monday, June 26th, they are going to be part of a songwriter's night at a golf event that my radio station, KNCI, helps put on with uh, Hagen Oaks and the Morton Golf Foundation. It's called Golf and Guitars. If you live in the Sacramento region, you may be familiar with it. And Johnny and Heidi are going to be performing Monday night. They'll be doing their songs, as will a whole bunch of other really talented songwriters. And you can still get tickets. Just go to KNCIFM.com. All the details are there. All right, now that is a wrap for this month's edition of Write You a Song, which is a production of Bonneville Communications International and KNCI Radio. I'm Tom Ailey. Till next time, you keep being you.